Hi, I'm Susan Freeman. Welcome back to our Property She podcast series, where I get to interview some of the people I think are key influencers in the wonderful world of real estate. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Alex Price, CEO of Palmer Capital Partners, after what has undoubtedly been a transformational year for the company. Alex joined Palmer Capital in 2003 to set up the fund management business after serving as an army officer with the Royal Green Jackets, completing an MBA at London Business School and a period in corporate finance. He became CEO of the company in 2008. In addition to the fund management business, Palmer Capital is a creator and manager of real estate assets through its shareholdings in eight regional property companies. Right at the end of last year, 80% of the Palmer Capital business was acquired by Fiera Capital, Canada's leading investment managers with £100 billion worth of assets under management. So now we get a chance to hear from Alex Price about his views on UK real estate and how he sees his business evolving alongside Fiera. Alex, welcome. Thank you for joining me. You have an unusual background for a property company CEO, it has to be said, army officer with Royal Green Jackets, London Business School, um, and then a stint in corporate finance. So what actually attracted you to the world of real estate? Well, I I was very lucky. My my wife, who I met at university, is one of Ray Palmer, the founder of Palmer Capital's four daughters. So I'd known Ray for for many years before I got to to talking to him about business. I'd I'd known him from, from university. What I found as I went through life is I realised that the military was a fantastic career and I'd advocated to other people, but I didn't want to stay um, after I'd done five years. I came out, I worked for an investment bank as a graduate, didn't particularly enjoy that that, that sort of environment. So I went to London Business School to, to retrain. Um, it was after London Business School, I ran a startup for, for a small time and Ray approached me and said, you know, why don't you come on board? And it seemed to make sense that the property industry is a fantastic place to work. Where else do you get tangible assets to deal with? Do you get great people to work with? And do you actually have a chance to do something that you can see what you're doing day in, day out? So I, I was very fortunate. Uh, I joined Ray about 16 years ago. Uh, and about uh, nine years ago, I became the chief executive. So you've been at Palmer Capital since 2003 and CEO since 2008. Um, so I think it would be interesting to talk a little bit about the business model because it's, it's quite un, unusual. You back regional property companies and I think you've got uh, stakes in, um, in eight of them and um, you also run a property investment fund. So how does that all hang together? Yeah, so, so the, Ray, when he set the business up, he, he started backing property companies. Uh, this was in 1993 and uh, I think the story is he answered a box advert, which essentially was two guys in Cambridge looking for, uh, for a shareholder to help them get off the ground. And that company was called Rembridge. He became a 33% shareholder in the business. Uh, and the business has grown from 1993 and today is 25 years old. It made a profit in its first year and it's made a profit every year since. That The model is very simple there. It's about finding two people who are, or can be one or can be three, but normally two, who really understand their local market. They're really good at what they do, but they need support because real estate's really capital intensive. And as we go through life, we see we need more compliance, more regulation, more more operations, more legal backing. So Ray provided that substance behind each of those businesses. Rembridge was first. He then backed a company called uh, Opus Land, which is still here today, and Opus North. He backed a company called Bainscroft and so on and so forth. 
I joined in 2003, as you said. My background, having worked for an investment bank uh, and, and having been um, at London Business School, was slightly more financial. And I joined to set up an investment management business. The observation being that we were sourcing maybe 10 or 15 deals a year through those companies that, that Palmer Capital raised business was a shareholder in. And each one of those would be funded on a case-by-case basis. And we said, well, why don't we raise the money first? Why don't we have the money here so as the deals come in from, from these operating partners, we can put them into our, into our investment management arm. So we, we built a business over the last 15 years that on the one hand has operating companies some of the best regional companies we think. Those companies are entrepreneurial, they're active, they're innovative. Uh, those businesses are in their market doing what they do great, which is finding opportunity, but they need money. The other half of our business is an investment management arm. We've got capital. We Today, we have about £800 million of third-party money, and that capital is investing into projects predominantly undertaken by our property companies. So the two are symbiotic today. And uh, I think your your regional companies must be doing pretty well because I noticed a number of them are listed for the Property Week Awards and the RICS Awards. So. Yes, yeah, so, so we're really proud. I think we've got five nominations uh, across those two, two sets of awards, both for Deal of the Year and for Property Company of the Year. Um, it, it's it's great. You know, it's really wonderful watching a company launch and grow over the years and to see that success coming through. So it's something we all take a lot of pride in, being part of those businesses and helping those businesses to succeed. They, they really are the engine room of, of ours, our business. Yes, that's, uh, that's terrific. And I think um, you've recently set up um, a new build-to-rent uh, operator and developer, yeah. and that, that was last year, I think. So that's uh, relatively new. So, so there we, we looked at a sector. We, over the last uh, eight years... We have bought land and brought forward over 5,000 plots and sold them predominantly to house builders. Um, we then found ourselves developing, uh, having forward funded to Granger, a 200-unit scheme in, in Bristol. And we, we sold it to Granger uh, about three years ago. And we said to ourselves, well, actually, shouldn't we be in this sector? You know, residential is a £6 trillion market in the UK and built to rent represents, what, 100,000 units today that have been purpose-built for renting. And we think that that market will grow considerably over the years to come. But for good reason that people, you know, move from blockbusters renting a DVD today, they have Netflix. And so people want that type of service. Uh, and secondly, people can't afford to, to buy those houses. And that's a, a problem we do need to address. So our view is we should get into a sector that's growing, a sector where we have the fundamental ability to source land and to build buildings. And those are the hard bits, by the way. Capital today is the easy bit in, in, in all of these things. So we set up a company last year called Package Living. We're really excited about the prospects that that company can bring. It's already um, bringing through planning its first scheme, a £70 million scheme in Milton Keynes. Uh, and we hope to bring forward other schemes during the course of this year. So we're excited about what that can be. And it's much easier to fly a kite with a hurricane behind you, which is the way I look at built to rent as a sector. Yes, that's interesting. And are you are you targeting the millennial market? Are you looking at later living? Because it seems that um, there hasn't been enough focus on, um, you know, the older age group who actually yeah. have money and are looking to downsize and could release property into the um, into the system. Yeah, I mean, the, the way we've looked at it is um, we don't have specialist skills to deliver to any specific demographic, particularly when you're setting up a new company. But what we do believe in is that people want somewhere to live that is affordable with a small a. That doesn't mean it's got government subsidies. It doesn't mean it's got a social landlord. 
It just means that us as package living are providing what, what I call the Ford Mondeo of of built to rent we're not trying to do anything exciting we think people just want to live in a high quality nice apartment that's affordable for them we don't think they need saunas swimming pools helipads etc but we do think they just need somewhere where they can live and build a community and, and live with people they want to live with so i don't think we can go any further without mentioning the fiera deal so yeah. congratulations on that i think it was r- right at the end of um 2018 so fiera capital one of um i think one of canada's leading real estate investment companies has bought an 80 percent stake in um, in palmer capital so uh palmer will become the uh, uk arm of fiera uh, properties so how did that come about and how's sure. that going to change the business well, sort of going back a couple of years ago, three years ago, we went through a process of looking at whether to sell a, a stake in Palmer Capital to a third party. And we concluded back then that we didn't want to for, for many reasons to, in that specific instance. However, that did lead me to continue thinking about it conceptually. And I recognise that clients today want a, a broader product offering. So just offering UK real estate isn't always enough for a, for a pension fund that may want to also buy real estate in Europe or in Asia or may want to buy UK infrastructure projects. Um, the second thing I recognised was I spent a lot of time travelling, particularly to places like North America, which is a huge market for, for investor capital. And I thought to myself, this is a, a remarkably inefficient use of my time to be going out to prospect for people out there. Um, the third thing I recognised was that We had a group of shareholders who had been with the business since we'd set up 25 years beforehand. Uh, Ray was the largest single shareholder, but some of Ray's friends had supported the business in the early years, were significant shareholders. And we needed at some point to create a platform for succession so that the management team would see corporate stability. Uh, And finally, I recognised that as a management team, we'd all worked together, that the the board of directors with one uh, new person has worked together for more than 10 years. And I thought to myself, actually, we probably need some fresh ideas just to come in to help us shake up our thinking. We think what we do is really good. We think we do it really well. And we think we do it to the best of our abilities. But are there things we don't know? I think it's Rumsfeld talked about the unknown unknowns. So we were we conceptually said, let's think about a sale. Fiera then approached us. They were talking to various uh, investment managers across Europe and the UK. They approached us in the late spring, early summer of 2018. Uh, we met with them and it was a fantastic actually meeting because I recognised in their business a very similar to business to us. And I recognised that culturally there could be an alignment and that led on to a much longer a process of getting to know each other, of then agreeing some terms, of then due diligence, and finally we signed on the 21st of December. It's interesting. I mean, I was going to ask you about culture, whether Fiera yeah. are culturally um, similar, because obviously it's the same language, yeah. but, you know, very different, uh, you know, country, different outlook. We uh, talked earlier yeah. about the um, uh, the climate differences. I mean, yeah. are, are there? do you see differences or um, is it just the same entrepreneurial spirit and... Uh, you know, that aligns you? Well, I, I think I think more the latter. And um, a chap called Jean-Guy Desjardins set up Fiera in 2003. Um, at the time, he bought into, a, into an asset management company uh, and it was relatively small. Today, it has nearly 800 staff. And the way they've done it is by buying boutique 
asset managers or investment managers in specialist sectors, whether it's in property, in infrastructure, in, in credit. And they've left the teams to run their own business unit, but they've provided that central layer of support, that, that operational backing, the legal backing, the access to capital. So, so two things, really. One is I recognise that in their model, they're very similar to our model, the way Palmer Capital had grown by backing entrepreneurial best-in-class regional property companies. They'd done the same, just at a bigger scale. Uh, and secondly, I recognised that any company that was um, brave enough and successful to bolt on boutiques and to allow them to flourish and grow would be a much better company because it creates a truly federal, entrepreneurial uh, organization that, that is capable of growth rather than a, a sort of a beer moth that, that gets slowed down by inertia. Um, and when I talk to them, their business model for their properties business is the same. We run core money and we run opportunistic money. They do the same. I recognize that our values of trust, integrity and entrepreneurship are pretty similar to their values. Um, I like the people and I like their approach to growing their organization. And, th- and that cultural fit is really important. And you don't, you don't really know until a few years down the line whether you're right or wrong, but you need to start somewhere. And I figured starting with a Canadian business would be the closest non-UK culture that we would find with a, maybe a few exceptions. And secondly, with a business like theirs, we had the most similar type of parent that we could find. So <clears throat> you start off with the best chances you can, and then it's down to you to execute. Well, it sounds, it sounds very promising. Um, now, you, you talked about getting new ideas um, yeah. you know, into the company, and, and you've talked about um, technology, and yeah. you have appointed a director of innovation, Daryl yeah. Colthrust. But um, in terms, it takes time to change mindset. And I think, you know, you have talked about that. And uh, how, how are you, how is that going? It, it's, um, well, the first thing to say, it's incredibly important that people think about this. Whatever your views of, of the world generally, machine learning will become more commonplace in the years to come. And we can then debate whether that leads to artificial intelligence or not. If you accept that premise that machine learning is, it will become more important, then if it's not machine readable, you can't use that tool for your business. And what we found in our business was that we had a lot of data, but that data wasn't digitized. It wasn't in a format that anybody could read it unless you had a person there reading some PDFs here, some spreadsheets there, etc. So the first realization we had is just to survive in the future, you have to digitize your business. And that is a huge change and a change that when we looked across our, our, our talent pool, which is, which is great, it's broad and deep, but not, our talent pool isn't really about digitization, which is why Daryl came on board. Um, the second observation is the process of change is much longer than you think and much harder than you think. Um, however big or small your company, uh, you are trying to change not just technology, but the people and the processes that sit behind that technology. And that's really hard work. And so we recognize that bringing an external party into our business was more likely to create an atmosphere of change than one of us trying to do it and and doing it part time. Uh, And if you don't do this at some point, and I don't know when, at some point in the future, you will find yourself on a non-level playing field anymore because some people will and some people won't. So it's something everybody needs to get on with and to accept it will take longer than they think. I think that's absolutely, um, absolutely right. Um, and 
talking about the process of change. We were at business, London Business School, at, at, yeah. the, at the same at the same time, and, and I don't know what your impression was, but uh, but what really got to me was actually change management case studies where one was looking at corporates being moved from an old building to a new building, increasing productivity, changing culture, and nobody was remotely interested in who'd actually provided the space. And uh, I just, I mean, one of the things um, I I also felt was um, that if the real estate sector was discussed, it was regarded as a dinosaur. So the bright young people coming through uh, business school weren't interested in going into into real estate, which I think is, um, you know, obviously uh, a loss for, for the sector. Uh, I just wondered whether you found it the same or... Um, you had a lot of property people on your course. No, I, I, and when I left my course, I, I, I left to, to form a startup with a friend in telecoms. Ah. So um, I, I left with no intention of, of getting into property. I think the, the issue for property is we have traditionally sold space, not a service. Generally, brighter people recognise that selling a service is a, is a much more interesting thing to do and far less commoditized. They recognise that having to learn about customers rather than tenants, having to learn about um, collecting data rather than just providing an empty box, uh, is, is the sorts of things that people are interested in. So je- traditionally, we've struggled to bring in the brightest and best talent into real estate because it's not seen as a very interesting place to be. I think that's changing. And I think it's changing because our customers now want their buildings to be much more of a service. They want to have data that can help them understand why employees enjoy that one building more than another. They want to be able to lease, not necessarily a whole floor, but parts of a floor. They maybe want to be able to lease meeting rooms on, an, on a pay-as-you-go basis. And all these things require thinking. So we're at a really interesting, exciting part of the real estate world as we transition ourselves from being a space provider to being a service provider. And I think that's why we will start to see more talent for about expression coming through that otherwise might have gone into consulting or investment banking. But do you think it will go into real estate companies or will it go into the tech companies that seem to be disrupting um, the real estate sector? Um, my suspicion is it will go into both um, because I suspect that both will end up merging because you can't have a technology solution without the asset and you can't, I don't think, going forward have an asset that succeeds without a technology solution to it. So I suspect the two are going to have to work hand in hand with each other if they're going to succeed. And, you know, we are in in a relatively early prop tech phase where, generally speaking, anything that's put out there with information memorandum can raise money. And generally speaking, if you've got a business plan, you can have a valuation of £2 million, even if you've done nothing. That will all work its way through. Some of the early early ones will, will die down. Some of the others will succeed and do amazingly well. And as the uh, companies that own the space today align themselves with the technology companies to provide an integrated solution. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I was told that um, there are about six thousand five hundred prop tech startups. So obviously, a lot of people out there with with ideas that they're yeah. they're hoping will be uh, relevant to to real estate um, and I think because um, the sector is seen as being a little bit behind the curve that obviously creates opportunities for other people to um, to come in yeah I, I think I think on that though in the same way for those viewers who watched those who watched Dragon's Den there are quite often products there that are interesting products but they don't actually solve a need 
other people come along with ideas, services, products that solve a genuine need and occasionally they come across to transformational ideas that, that, that change the way we are business practices. Um, in prop tech, there is probably you know, 50, 60% of the, of the businesses, business plans coming through are addressing a need that isn't really there. There is probably 40-50% that are addressing a need, and of that, a very small number that are really genuinely transformational. And you have to go through sifting processes as we all get better at understanding what is transformation and what isn't. You're absolutely right. And uh, one of the things we're trying to do on the British Property Federation Technology and Innovation Committee is to try and uh, make sure that um, the startup ideas actually um, are directed uh, towards some sort of pain point so that, uh, you know, they solve a problem that somebody regards as a problem. So I know that uh, Palmer Capital has uh, sponsored the uh, London Bi- uh, Business School Real Estate uh, yeah. Forum um, in, in the past. And interestingly, that seems to be driven by the students rather than faculty. And um, I always sort of wonder whether it would help our cause in real estate if uh, if there was real estate on the curriculum um, so that uh, there's some understanding of actually what the sector, the sector does. Yeah, and I, I think... I think that definitely would help. Um, I mean, with you know, the problem with the, with schools like, like business schools is is that in that case it's a twenty one month course, although it can be done quicker. In many other business schools, it's a one year course. So each year, and most events and, and things are done on an annual cycle. There's a fresh bunch of students whose job it is to organise and to lead the real estate charge. Whereas you're right, we probably do need people who are continuously in post, maybe maybe faculty, mm. who can create a connection between the business school and indeed other business schools and the industry. Because these schools have some really bright people coming through who have very broad ideas about life and very broad experiences. And some of those ideas and experiences would really help us as a sector um, move away from that traditional uh, estate agent sort of view of the world, forgive the expression, into what we are now, which is a vibrant financial services industry with hundreds of billions of pounds of real estate assets, of commercial real estate assets that we're the fiduciary for, with trillions of pounds worth of residential assets that in many cases we're becoming uh, more involved in through the leasing market. So I think as we grow as an industry, we do need to bring in different talent and we don't all want chartered surveyors. We need chartered surveyors. But we need a range of talents. We need lawyers who've converted. We need people with financial backgrounds who've converted. We need marketeers. We need technologists. We need a whole range of people to make our industry relevant. And maybe if one can regard it as space as a service rather than real estate, perhaps that becomes more interesting um, and more attractive to people that wouldn't have thought about real estate. Yeah. I mean, my suspicion, you look at things like serviced offices, um, you know, my view is is we work. We work are currently a tenant for many landlords. Um, I think if a landlord expects that to continue, that that they will be mistaken, because eventually we work will go to the underlying investor in that landlord and say, why are you giving your money to the landlord, who then leases it to us? We can package this as one. So if you give us the money, we we work will buy the building, and we will then operate the building for you, the the, the pension fund or, or the investor. So as landlords, we have to skill ourselves as service providers or otherwise the service providers will cut us out. Or you will work with them in partnership. Or, or you need way. to form joint ventures and partnerships, yeah. Yeah, this is, um, you know, this is true. So there, there, there really is so much 
change going on at the moment. I think running a property company, you just have to be on your toes um, and um, open to new ideas more than you probably have had to do at any other time in your career, really. Well, and I I guess, though, that uh, over history, the, the pace of change has continued to accelerate. So what took 100 years to do last century maybe took 10 years and this century maybe takes one to five years. Or business planning, which used to be five-year business plans. Today, to my view, anything outside of two to three years is probably irrelevant because it's so far in the future. Um, I think businesses need to change, but that's the exciting point today. In our industry, there's a lot of opportunity for those people who are prepared to grasp change, who are prepared to accept change as an enabler, not a, not something that's threatening them, and who are prepared to... to you know, unlock their thinking and think about things because if they don't, Google will come in and do it better or or whoever the the firm is. So against that backdrop, what advice do you give to young people looking to come into real estate now? Because it's, uh, you know, it's it's changed so much. Yeah, I I think my... and, And if I look at this very broadly, I think anybody can come into real estate. So my first point is you don't have to go through the APC. It probably helps. It's probably the best foundation course, but you don't have to do that to get into real estate. Um, My second piece of advice is when when you apply for jobs, you you often forget that the company needs a rationale to hire you as much as you you need to go to join that company. So I always say to people, and my my oldest child is a teenager now, when I talk to her, I say, when you're talking to companies, you have to persuade them why you're a good bet for that company to bring on board, not just turn up expecting a job to land on your lap. And that's about thinking about who you are, what you offer, and spending your formative years trying to to get some experience, if only small measures, and trying to show things on your CV and your life that make you relevant to the industry or career you're thinking about. Yes, that's pretty pretty good advice. Um, what's, what's the best advice you were given uh, when you were starting off on your career? Uh, probably, probably to not join the army, <laughs> which I ignored, by the way. My mum thought that was a very bad idea. Uh, she has forgiven me, but it's taken a long time. Okay. Which is probably very pleased when you decided to curtail your army. I don't worry. She just turned up at Santos and saw me in my uniform and she was fine at that point. Okay. Okay. I'd, I'd like to see a photograph <laughs> of you in your, in your uniform. So what, when, you're, when you're not working... How do you spend your your time? Well, I've, I've got three daughters, so I generally I spend my time as a taxi driver. Um, uh, the only real thing is I, I realise that the only people paid worse than the Uber drivers is me, uh, because mine is general. I had to give them money when I dropped them off rather than receiving money. Um, I, I'm very, very lucky. I live uh, just near Guildford. I moved out of London a few years ago. Uh, and, and I spend a lot of my time with my kids. On top of that, I, I do still stay physically active. Uh, I run uh, a few times a week and try to do my try to do the odd uh, half marathon or, or marathon for, for charity, uh, in particular for Land Aid, which is a, a cause that I'm particularly aligned to. So I, I find plenty of things outside of work. Although inevitably, there's always a bit of work to be done at the weekend because that's, as a chief executive, you spend a lot of time um, during office hours catching up with people and sometimes you've got some planning to do, which I tend to do in my own time. And have any of your daughters shown any interest in the real estate sector? No, or is they, it too they, early? No, they, they, they think I'm an estate agent and they don't know what anything else other than that is. Um, I could tell them I'm a painter decorator, in which case they'd understand that as well. But those are the only two parts of what I do that have any interest to them. I see. Okay. So, so no. And and when it come, you know, when you when you actually get to the stage where that you know they'll turn to you and ask you 
you know, for career advice, what uh, what will you tell them? I mean, I, I think as a parent, actually, it's quite difficult to give career advice because you're inevitably very biased towards what you think is a good idea for them, not necessarily what they think is a good idea. So I think the best advice I can give myself is to send my children off to talk to my friends for career advice rather than talking to me. The best thing I can do is to, where, where people want to get experience in industry, is to try to facilitate that, whether they're you know, other friends' children or indeed just good people. And, and we get some CVs through. And every now and again, you see a CV that somebody has really tried to show they have an interest and a relevance in your company and, your role and what you do. And we do try to help those people out if we can. Yes, and the interesting thing is now for, you know, some of the children going through school, the roles and jobs that they will, you know, take on haven't even been created yet. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't know how you go about giving career advice as kids go through school. I think it's really, it's really difficult. Well, I, I mean, there's lots of research. I suspect that um, roles that are easily adopted by machines, robots in particular, will be less relevant going forward. And more creative roles will be more relevant. But it doesn't really change the fundamental that if you try to be the best person that you can be as you're growing up and try to give yourself the best experience, exposure and personality, you'll probably succeed in something. It just may not be what you think about. It's true. And in fact, you might lose your role as taxi driver. You will be, yeah. you know, yeah. you'll get an autonomous I'm, I'm vehicle. I'm a huge fan. Autonomous vehicles, I'm, I'm a big fan of because I can see what it can do to change my life. Brilliant. Alex, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. It's brilliant to hear from a successful real estate entrepreneur who's embracing tech and innovation. It'll be great to watch how the Palmer Capital business grows alongside their new Canadian investors. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation and found it interesting. Please join us for the next Property Sheet podcast interview in a couple of weeks' time. In the meantime, make sure you check out our Property Sheet website. Uh, you'll find it at mishcon.com slash property sheet. And there you'll find all our interviews and program notes. The podcasts are also available to download on your Apple Podcast app, the purple button on your iPhone, and on Spotify. And do continue to let us have your feedback and comments, and importantly, any suggestions for future guests. And of course, you can also follow me on Twitter, at PropertyShe, for a very regular commentary on real estate, prop tech, and the built environment. <laughs>